Again, we're glad you could join us today. At this time, we'll invite the ushers to come forward to receive the offering. And as they do, go over a few of the announcements for the week. Today, our high school girls' discipleship group meets at noon up in the conference room upstairs. So if you're a girl in high school, they'd love to have you join them. The Wisdom Seekers meet today at 2 o'clock over in the prayer room. And so you're all invited to that. College Fellowship meeting tonight at 7 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall. Our Vacation Bible School is coming up July 10th and the 11th. And today, after second service up in the, up in the Fellowship Hall, is a mandatory meeting for people who are helping with VBS, just to tie up all the loose ends and, and that sort of thing. And so uh, make sure if you're helping with VBS to go on up after second service to the Fellowship Hall. And it says that lunch is provided, so sounds like a deal. Also, next Sunday, we're having a special meet and greet for some of our missionaries. Uh, Julie Ichikawa from Japan is going to be here, and Kimberly Wagner, who works with Campus Crusade, will be here as well to share. And then the Simons are back from uh, East Asia with us for a while, and so they're going to share too. And so uh, dinner will be provided. It's at 5 o'clock next Sunday really encourage you to come out and meet our missionaries and hear what God is doing in their lives. We have a women's conference coming up Saturday, July 22nd from 8 to 4.30 here in the sanctuary. It's called Looking Unto Jesus. There are some flyers available and you can sign up for that back in the foyer. Junior high camp coming up July 30th. If you have a junior hire, make sure you get them signed up for that camp. Late in September, there's going to be a married couples retreat, and you can sign up for that too. It should be a great time. And Saturday, September 9th, the uh, Angels and Toronto Blue Jays, we're going to go as a group, and we got cheap tickets that way, and we're going to have a tailgate party out under the Big A in the parking lot and go in and enjoy the game together. And so you can sign up for that. Tickets are available in the foyer. Now, at this time, we have the special privilege of bringing little Taya Boyd to the Lord, and so if her parents will bring her up, we'll dedicate her. And she is a doll. And she was smiling at me earlier. We'll see how she does now. Ate a bunch of salsa between services, so this could be bad. Hi, Taya. You okay? Yeah. What a little doll you are. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, she's not going to spit up. She's a lady. She doesn't do that kind of stuff, do you, Taya? Look at all those people. Kind of intimidating, huh? She has little flip-flops on. These are so cool. You're a doll. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for this little gift from you, this beautiful little girl that you love so much. And Lord, you chose her family. You chose her parents, and you knew that they had what it takes to teach this girl that you love her. And so, Lord, just bless their family. Help them to create the kind of an environment where loving you is just the most natural thing for her to do. Help Taya from a very early age to feel secure in you, to know how much you care about her, Lord, to know how special she is, that she's a princess of the Most High God. And so, Lord, we give her to you. We acknowledge that she's yours anyway, and we thank you for the loan. And God, we're just grateful for you loving us so much to just continue to, to bless us in so many ways. And this little girl, just a wonderful picture of your blessing. So God, anoint her in a special way. 
Lord, lead and guide her. Help her to become a woman who walks with you and serves you. We thank you for her in Jesus' name. Amen. You are so good. Can I keep you? You can stay up here, and I bet people would pay attention to church. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to give her back. Oh, well. <laughs> Just a perfect thing. There you go, hon. All right. <laughs> what do you think about that little tyke? She's pretty cute, huh? You're not so sure, are you? <laughs> I'm not saying she's as cute as you. <laughs> yeah, you're beautiful. See ya, hon. All right. All right. Before we open the Word, we have a special blessing for you today for a few minutes. My friend Sammy Tanaga, who has a ministry to Muslims, and I wonder how many of you know that God loves the Muslims, that He doesn't just want to destroy them, that He, that he wants to save them and draw them to Himself, and that's Sammy's ministry, and he's written a book called Glad News, God Loves You, My Muslim Friend, and you probably have some information in your bulletin about it a little bit, and he has some of the books here, but I've asked him to just come and share for a couple minutes about what God has done and is doing through His ministry, and, and uh, to encourage you to basically buy His book. No. So, Sammy, come on up and share. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you very much for this warm welcome. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. As I was driving 8 o'clock this morning and I saw Calvary Chapel Pacific Hills, um, I had a joy in my heart and a smile on my face, and I felt like I discovered a younger sister to us or something. Uh, my, we are in the same family. My ministry is through Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. Uh, so if you need any uh, answer to any questions regarding ministry to Muslims, please give me a call. Uh, just want to share with you a few minutes. Uh, let me start by saying, Ishmael is the physical and the spiritual ancestor to the Muslim people. And uh, God promised Abraham in Genesis 17:20 to bless Ishmael. And Genesis 21, we know that Ishmael and Hagar were dying uh, from thirst in the desert. And God personally intervened, opened Hagar's eyes to see a well of water. And by God's personal intervention, their lives were spared. Uh, that tells us that God had a marvelous plans from the birth of Ishmael and his descendants, namely Arabs and Muslims. Uh, we know from First Chronicle chapter 1, verses 29 to 31, that uh, a thousand years after Ishmael's death, his name and his son's names, Kedar and Nebaioth, were carefully uh, recorded, chronicled there. And also we know from Genesis um, from Isaiah 21, verses 13 to 17, that uh, Kedar, one of Ishmael's son, is linked with the Arab people. It's important because in Isaiah 60, verse 7, uh, we know that Kedar and Nebaioth would be gathered with their flocks to the Messiah's fold in the day of the harvest. They would be saved. Isaiah 60, verse 7. Very interesting because the uh, time the prophecy was given, 
Kedar and Nebaith had been dead for about a thousand years. So clearly, this prophecy relates, talks about the descendants of Kedar and Nebaith, which are Arabs and Muslims. We know from Acts 2 that Jesus' disciples were filled with the Spirit, and they, they communicated the gospel in the languages of people from Libya, Arab people, and people from Egypt. Jeremiah 49, verse 38 and 39, tells us that Persian Muslims will come to Christ. Isaiah 19, verse 21, tells us that Egyptian Muslims will come to Christ. Isaiah 19, 25, God said, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handwork, Israel, my inheritance. Uh, Revelation 5, 9, tells us that believers in heaven will come from every nation, every tongue, every ethnic background. Uh, God, why God prophesied and is working to save Muslims? Because, because God so loved the world, including Muslims, and he wants all people to be saved. Islam is growing very rapidly all over the world. I just came back from teaching at the Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference in England. The pastors told me that Islam is growing faster than Christianity in England, all over Europe. Islam is growing very rapidly, not only in Asia and Africa, but also in America. Within 15 years, every four persons in the world, one of them is going to be a Muslim. Now, very few Christians, even pastors, are paying any attention or making any effort to reach Muslims with the gospel. Uh, however, God already starts saving Muslims using unusual means like uh, Catholic actor uh, through the Passion, uh, using 9-11 uh, to show the Muslim people how horrible the Islamic teaching is. In the past 30 years, more Muslims have come to Christ than in the past uh, 1,400 years. This is the good news. One of those Muslims is my wife. She was attending Islamic University, uh, majoring in Islam and the Arabic language. She became born again, threw her in prison, almost lost her life. Well, sometime in the future, I'm going to bring her uh, to share her testimony. But uh, for right now, uh, I want you to know that Muslims are coming to Christ in an incredible way all over the Muslim world. Now, isn't that good? Uh, because Satan always tried to convince us that uh, leave Muslims alone, but uh, uh, God is saving Muslims and want to use us to save even more. Now, in Genesis 12, uh, God told Abraham, I will bless you and through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And I feel that God is telling you uh, Calvary Chapel Pacific uh, uh, Hills the same thing. I love you. I blessed you. I chose you. I created you in the best country in the world, America. I guided you to one of the best Christian movement in the world, Calvary Chapel. I even gave you an awesome pastor. Dave Ralph was one of our best pastors. <laughs> and we are just starting. I gave you my spirit. I gave you forgiveness for all of your sins. I gave you eternal life. Life is tough. Promise to be with you every day. God blessed you. As he told Abraham, I will bless you, and through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. God is telling you the same thing. I blessed you because I love you, but also I want, I desire through your life to bless 
many more families. And since the Muslim families are some of the most neglected uh, in America, God desire to use your life to bless at least one Muslim family. Now you might be surprised to know that uh, California has the largest Muslim population in the United States. Los Angeles has the first largest Muslim population in the States. Orange County has the second or third largest Muslim population in the United States. Orange County has about 500,000 Muslims. If I want to meet a Muslim, I just go anywhere. Go to the mall, I will meet Muslims. <laughs> go to any place in Irvine, you would meet Muslims. Uh, San Diego has the third or fourth largest Muslim population in the States. Now, we, I wrote a book, God guided me to write a book before 9-11. It's called The Glad News, God Loves You, My Muslim Friend. It answered the most serious questions a Muslim has, and they presented the gospel to them in the most acceptable and understandable way to them, even using some of their beliefs to build a bridge and as a stepping stone to the gospel. Uh, now, I, want, I, I, I have in my table outside some other books. Uh, this one will help you to know more. This one, The Muslim Heart, The Culture, if you want to get really into depth. But this book, I want each one of you to get a copy of that book, whether in English or Arabic. It's going to be in different languages soon. And I want you to read it. And then... After you read it, you pray for a divine appointment to meet a Muslim. And then when you meet a Muslim, you tell him, I love you. You write in the book, I love you. God loves you. My church loves you. And you put the church flyer in the book, Calvary Chapel, Pacific Hills. And uh, you write, I hope and pray that you will experience God's love in a more deeper and personal way. And give him the book with a smile. Now, now uh, I'm out of time. The book is $12. This is the publisher price. But because I love Dave Ralph, today only it's $11.75. <laughs> no, of course I'm kidding. I learned that from American in Orange County. Get the book, get the book, buy whatever, pay whatever you want to pay. Uh, the money is not the most important thing. We focus on the ministry. Uh, whatever God puts in your heart, pay it. The money go to the ministry anyway after we pay the publisher. But have faith that God want to use your life, each one of you, to reach at least one Muslim person. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Thanks, Sammy. In case you couldn't understand most of that, he's got a book about Muslims that's in the back <laughs> in Arabic or English, and I highly recommend it. And I, uh, I also, I'm not saying that if you have that book, Glad News, God Loves You, My Muslim Friend in Your Car, that your car will never get bombed, but it couldn't hurt. <laughs> right? Yep, tell him you know a guy, yeah. <laughs> Now let's turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. On Sunday mornings, oh, I should mention too, on Wednesday nights, kind of a big deal. 
We're going through the Bible on Wednesday nights, and we finished up Psalms last week, and so now we're going to be studying through the book of Proverbs, just tons of wisdom packed into the book of Proverbs. So if you've been needing wisdom or advice, you feel like sometimes you're not sure what to do, and you just wish that you could be smarter, the book of Proverbs on Wednesday nights, God will speak to you, and He promises to do that. As we, as we seek for His wisdom, He will give it to us, and there's no better place to seek than Proverbs, so we'll be taking our time on Wednesday nights going through the book of Proverbs, and if you've been kind of flaking and not coming lately, this would be a good time to start as we pick up with this book. On Sunday mornings, we've been going through the book of Galatians, and Paul lays out the glorious truth of the fact that we don't have to be under the law, that what he has for us is so much better than just following rules, and the fact is following rules only teaches us that we can't follow rules. And so he presents the good news, the gospel, the grace of God, that he saves us independently of what we do, that he wants to be in relationship with us and to set us free. All the things that bound us, all the things that just have been ruining our life, he wants to deliver us from those things. And the good news is we don't have to do anything in order for that to happen. But as we've been studying through the book, we see, well, how does this work out in real life? Because, and even last week as we were reading about the works of the flesh, we were reminded again of the frustrating nature of our limitations. How even when we start out well with good intentions, we mean well, yet something gets turned around and we end up doing these things that destroy us, that hurt us. We have this self-destructive bent within us that Paul calls the flesh. And I can start out by saying, oh, I'm going to be the fruit of the Spirit and I'm going to be loving. And I do something that's motivated from love. And if it doesn't go the way I want it to do, next thing I know, I'm angry. Have you ever bought a gift for someone just being so excited because you know they're going to love this gift? It's the perfect gift for that person. And so living in the fruit of the Spirit, you go, here's my act of love. And you give them the gift, and they don't like it. You can tell. Maybe even they say, why did you buy that? Well, I thought you'd, but come on, don't you know me at all? Don't you realize I I wouldn't want something? And what happens? Do you continue just to feel that warmth and love? Or all of a sudden the flesh kicks in, having begun in the spirit. By the time you're done being made perfect in the flesh, everything turns upside down, everything turns around. And so here in this section of Galatians, the heart of the book of Galatians really, we see how the life of the spirit works. And really what Paul is explaining is the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit isn't an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's God. The Holy Spirit is God in the same way that the Father is God and the Son's God. They are distinct, but they're all completely God. And so the Holy Spirit has the same personality traits and characteristics of the Father and the Son. If you know one, you know them all, and yet the Holy Spirit is the one whose role is to live inside of us. Jesus said, it's a good thing for you that I'm leaving. And they felt like, what do you mean? How can that be good? It's been great having you here. He said, no, because when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And I've been hanging out with you, but the Holy Spirit will be inside you. And that's a better deal for you. 
And if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, God himself, living inside you, whether you realize it or not, whether you think about it or not. And most of us don't think about him. Most of us think more about the Father in heaven. We think about Jesus because of what he did for us and dying for us, and we recognize that now he's making intercession for us at the right hand of the Father. But the Holy Spirit, yeah, we don't think about him too much. And yet it's that relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit that is key for us to be able to live the life that God's called us to live, for us to finally defeat the flesh, for us to get to the point where we quit messing everything up, where we can start out right and we can continue right. And for most of us, we try to live instead under the law. We try to follow rules, and so we discipline ourselves, and we try to be good, and then the flesh kicks in, and we're not so good, and we get frustrated, and we just forget the whole thing until we get inspired again, and okay, maybe I can follow the law. Maybe I can obey the rules, and it's this endless cycle of defeat and frustration. The answer is to understand what it is to have a relationship, a living, vital, breathing relationship with God the Holy Spirit as he lives inside us, as we walk with him. Now, here in Galatians 5, beginning with verse 16, and we'll read down through verse 25, it kind of summarizes and packages the whole deal about what it is to walk in the Spirit. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then he goes into the works of the flesh that we discussed last Sunday, and says the works of the flesh are evident, they're obvious, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, Sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So two basic models for life. One, the flesh. That tendency that we have to do things that aren't good for us to do things that God tells us not to do because he knows they aren't good for us. So the flesh is that, is that self-destructive nature that we all share. The spirit, love, joy, peace, that's our dream of what life ought to be like. It's what we would love for it to be like. You don't sit and say, let's see if I can hang out with an angry, disloyal, upset person who's drunk, or I can hang out with somebody who's loving and happy and peaceful and patient and boy which would I want to do which person would I want to be it's a no-brainer the problem is we start out trying to be like that and we end up looking more like the other description of the flesh and the answer the solution the path out of this self-destructive habit pattern is to have a 
relationship with the Holy Spirit and understand what that means. He is the one living inside of us who can change everything for us. And he wants to do it, and he wants to do it by his grace. But we need to understand what that means if that's going to happen. Now, last week, we looked at the works of the flesh. We know what those are like. We've experienced them. We practice them all the time. The fruit of the Spirit, starting next week, we'll go into those and see what they are. But today, I want to focus on what it is to really have a relationship whereby we are walking in the Spirit. Now, notice that it says, walk in the Spirit in verse 16, and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then in verse 18, it says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And then in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let's also walk in the Spirit, coming full circle. So he says you're going to walk in the Spirit, you're going to be led by the Spirit, and ultimately you will live in the Spirit, and that's what it is to walk in the Spirit. And so as we reflect on those three categories, walking, being led by, and living, then I think God's going to give us an opportunity to understand a little bit more of what a relationship with God the Holy Spirit is all about, because these are powerful and effective metaphors to describe that relationship that he wants us to have. Walking. I love to walk. There's so much good to be said about walking. If you ever lose the capacity to walk, you'll really appreciate it much more as you realize, boy, why didn't I do that more? I pulled a few quotes from people talking about walking just to remind us of the special power that there is in walking, and it'll put us into a frame of mind whereby I think it'll help us to understand the Holy Spirit and our relationship with Him. First of all, the philosopher and theologian Kierkegaard said this, Above all, do not lose your desire to walk. Every day I walk myself into a state of well-being and walk away from every illness. I have walked myself into my best thoughts, and I know of no thought so burdensome that one cannot walk away from it. But by sitting still, and the more one sits still, the closer one comes to feeling ill. If one keeps on walking, everything will be all right. The artist and philosopher Rousseau said, I can only meditate when I am walking. When I stop, I cease to think. My mind works only with my legs. The naturalist John Muir said this, I only went out for a walk and finally concluded to stay out until sundown. For going out, I found, was really going in. Thoreau said, the moment my legs begin to move, my thoughts begin to flow. Charles Dickens said, the sum of the whole is this, walk and be happy, walk and be healthy. The best way to lengthen out our days is to walk steadily and with a purpose. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, when you have worn out your shoes, the strength of the shoe leather has passed into the fiber of your body. I measure your health by the number of shoes you have worn out. And uh, author Raymond Inman says this, If you're seeking creative ideas, go out walking. Angels whisper to a man when he goes for a walk. Doesn't it make you want to take a walk even if you didn't feel like it before? And I saw so many quotes as I was looking at this from Abraham Lincoln and church fathers like Erasmus and others who talked about the healing power of walking. In fact, there was an Egyptian, some Egyptian writing that prescribed for people who were mentally ill to go take a walk in a garden 
There's something to that, and it's, it's why God has chosen this metaphor of walking to describe the kind of relationship that he wants us to have with his Holy Spirit. Remember in the Garden of Eden, that's what they did before the fall. God would show up in the cool of the day and take a walk with Adam and Eve. And when they sinned and fell, when the flesh kicked in and they were defeated, God showed up and they didn't. They were hiding from God and God missed that fellowship that they were going to have. Walking, walking in the Spirit. Well, when we think of walking, there are at least four things I've thought of that are definitely characteristics of walking. The first one is, Walking is a way of moving. It's all about mobility. You don't walk to stay in the same place unless you're on a treadmill. That becomes very frustrating. It's much better to walk for real than to walk for fake. But walking is a way of going somewhere. Now, in our relationship with the Holy Spirit, it's so important that we understand that where we are isn't good. We need to move. We need changes to take place in our lives, and that's why he calls us to walk. He's not going to push us. He's not going to drag us. He says, walk with me. But a part of walking is, as Jesus said to the lame man, rise up and walk. We have to get off our haunches. We have to get off our chairs. We have to get out of our comfort zone and realize that changes need to take place in our life. And God's Holy Spirit will never be able to make you who He wants you to be. He'll never be able to deliver you from the trap that you're in until you realize where you are isn't so good, that you're not okay the way you are. Changes need to take place. And so movement is in order. And He's saying, you have a chance to walk in the Spirit. But that means you have to be okay with letting go of where you are right now in order to see something much better, in order to experience something much more. It's a walk. Let's get up and go. The next thing that I think of about walking, and several of the authors that I quoted mentioned it, is it's exercise. What's exercise? It's getting your whole body involved in a process. Now, you can think that you're exercising by using a remote control because you can feel your thumbs getting stronger by the day. But real exercise involves cardiovascular activity. It involves, you know, your muscles and skeleton and every system in your body. And that's why walking is so good for you. That's why walking is so healthy, because the body functions and everything works together. And that's what walking is, a great example of that. And we all need that. And by the way, some of us could use a little more walking. But... Spiritually, here's how I would tie that in. The Bible talks about exercise and exercising our gifts. The Bible refers to the church, the body of Christ, as a body. And it talks about how essential it is that we work together, that all of our systems and all of our people can cooperate and work together to bring about what God wants to do. See, whether you understand it or not, God has gifted you. When you became a Christian, the Lord gave you a special set of gifts and talents that are your package is unique to you. And he has created you in a way that you have something to offer the body. And the body will only work the way it's supposed to work if if all of us are exercising our gifts, if we're all doing what we're called to do. Now, you may think, I don't know, I don't think I have any gifts. Yes, you do. 
God has given you gifts. Well, every time I try to use them, it just doesn't work. Yeah, maybe so, but that's why we need to move. That's why we need to walk. That's why we need to ask the Holy Spirit to to fill us, to take more control over us. There are a lot of people who don't think they have gifts, and in reality, the things that they have that are gifts right, might now, right, right now might seem like they're just annoyances to everyone. Because if the Holy Spirit isn't really working in your life, and you've neglected your relationship with Him, and you're not walking in the Spirit, oh, your gifts create messes for you. There's nothing worse than to be really good at bugging people or to have the special capacity to really judge others or to be obnoxious. All that is is gifts that aren't being exercised in the fruit of the Spirit, gifts that aren't being exercised in the Spirit. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll see this next week also, that, hey, all the gifts in the world without love doesn't accomplish anything. But let me give you an example. There are some people who have this capacity to be critical of everything they see. They just have an ability to, whenever they see something that's wrong, they notice. And usually in the flesh, what you do with that is you look down at others, you judge them, you make them feel bad, you complain, you write letters, you make phone calls, you make everyone around you miserable as you point out to them. You know, did you notice that uh, in church this morning, they went too long? Or, you know, that one song, I'm not sure about the words on that song. Biblically, theologically, I don't know. Or, you know, I think Dave went too far in some of the things he said, and people were laughing at it, and it was really awful. And you might be right about all those things. But that might be a spiritual gift in action. You know, come on, it's not a spiritual gift, it's just being a jerk. Yeah, (laughs) it's being a jerk, that's the point. But it might be being a jerk with gifts that God has given you. Now, what if filled with the Spirit, being motivated by the Spirit, allowing the Spirit to work through you, you take that gift, and every time you see something that's wrong, you go fix it. You make positive suggestions. You speak the truth in love. Or you just pray for people that they'll be able to notice and see what's going on. Well, what a difference. Now it's a gift. Now it's helping as you're exercising your gifts in the spirit, within the body, good things are happening. Most spiritual gifts used in the flesh create problems. There are some people who have a gift of giving. God's just made them generous. But if not filled with the spirit, if not walking and using and exercising that gift in the spirit, hey, they'll give, but then they do it with strings attached. They'll give and make you feel really bad. They'll give and make you feel like, you know, aren't you going to put my name somewhere or make sure that I get enough credit for this or whatever. And it's like, it's not that it's not a gift. It is. It's just that the Holy Spirit is the one who can allow us to use our gifts in a way that edifies the body. I think there are a lot of people who have a gift of teaching, but they aren't using it, and so they lecture everyone around them. There are some people, I've seen people who have a gift of teaching, and so they decide that they're going to teach Sunday school. So there they are with third graders, explaining to them all this heavy theology. And you're going, oh, this isn't clicking, this isn't connecting, but wait a minute, is that somebody who doesn't have a gift of teaching? No, but maybe it's someone who ought to be teaching in a different environment or teaching adults or something like that. 
That's why it's so important to be in a living, breathing relationship with the Holy Spirit because he will allow us to discover in our journey, in our walk with God, he'll allow us to discover how we can exercise our gifts in an appropriate way, in the correct place and time, and the body is exercised and built up, and everyone benefits when that happens. And that's a part of the walk that's that exercise. A third thing about walking that I want to point out to you is that walking isn't running. Walking involves a pace. At some point, Run, walking becomes running if you're going too fast. And if you watch the Olympics on the off days when that weird speed walking thing is going on, there's something really creepy about that. But these people are like, you know, but somehow if you don't do something wrong, it's still considered walking. But at some point, if you want to go that fast, just run for crying out loud. Because it's walking because it's not running. Now, what does this have to do with our relationship with the Holy Spirit? It's described as a walk. It's not a sprint. It's not to see how fast you can get somewhere. So often we come to the Lord and, and we just want to blow up. We just want to want the Holy Spirit to do everything in our lives all at once. But to walk with Him means that you have to accept the fact that it's walking. It means He has His timing that's involved. You don't need to push it. You shouldn't get impatient. Don't be frustrated with him if today you don't know what your gift is or how you can use it or doors haven't been opened for you to minister. Hey, we're walking. And if we keep walking, we'll get there. But it's a walk, not a run. Remember that. Remember that with the people around you too, people that you love, and you just wish they were more spiritual. You you're sitting there right now hoping that they're listening to this because you know what they need is the Holy Spirit, and it better happen today. Man, I hope they go forward. I hope, hope Dave gives an opportunity for, you know, hey, it's a walk. Understand that. We need to understand that with each other. We're on the path. We're walking with Him, but it's walking, not running. You're doing okay. Just keep walking. Just stick with him. Just listen to what the Holy Spirit says to you. So often, we are just destination-oriented. And he says, no, the process is the destination. In many ways, it's, I just want to walk with you. It's not, when is this walk going to be over? It's a walk. Slow down and enjoy it. It's okay. The Holy Spirit wants to do that for us. The fourth thing that I think about when I think of walking in this respect, too, you know, the, the, the first thing is, as we, as we're going, well, if we're walking, we're moving. And, and then, you know, when you're walking, obviously, you're not running, you're walking, you're exercising as well. And, and the, the final thing that, that uh, you know, that I'd like to point out your attention to when it comes to walking is that... <laughs> I'm talking to myself in a circle, boy. There, go, there goes that tape. What was the fourth point? Oh. <laughs> Walking in... There's 12 points. Give me a break, and I'm old. And I'm going to turn 53 this week. <laughs> Walking and talking. Walking isn't just about walking, but walking is about fellowship. Walking is about relating to someone else. Again, that's what God did with, with Adam and Eve. It's, it's a joy to take a walk with someone that you know. 
and just to talk to them. In, in so many ways, it's an easier way to talk than to sit across the table with someone. You're trying to have a conversation with someone and you're sitting. Your foot can go to sleep. You might start to yawn and you know you're insulting them when you do that. And you don't know where to look. You don't want to look, you know, they're going, what's that look mean? I don't, I, it doesn't mean anything. I'm just looking at you. I'm listening to what you have to say. And, and so, so often it's good just to walk. You could be looking around. You keep breathing. You're not going to be bored and tired. And you can comment on things around. And even if nobody has anything to say at that point, you're just with them. You're walking. Walking is such a beautiful way of fellowship, and it's what God has designed. And, and that's our relationship with the Holy Spirit as well. It's that relationship of communication. I would encourage all of you to go for a walk with someone, but I would also encourage you at different times to just go for a walk alone and not really be alone, but to take God with you. And don't feel obligated like, okay, I'm taking a walk with God, so I better have my list of everything that I want to ask Him for or tell Him. You know, sometimes He just wants to be in on what you're doing. And so if your mind wanders, let Him share that time with you. If you start thinking about something else, talk about it to Him. But enjoy the fellowship of walking. That's the relationship that God wants us to have with him. It's a, it's a moving, walking relationship that just is intimate. It's sharing in that time. And so in these four ways, at least, I can see how walking relates definitely to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. But the second thing there in Galatians 5 that he talks about is being led of the Spirit. Now, it's not another thing in addition to walking. It's kind of a continuation of the walking metaphor, but now he puts some purpose behind it as he talks about being led. And I'll make four or so observations, you never know, uh, concerning being led. First of all, if you're going to be led, you need to have a heart to follow. Someone can't lead you if you're not ready to follow. I can't lead people who don't want to follow. And so if the Holy Spirit wants to lead me, my heart, it starts there. And it probably goes back to what I said when you need to understand that you need to move, that you need changes to happen in your life. If you need changes to happen in your life, then certainly as we are following the Holy Spirit, I need to decide I am going to do what He tells me to do. When I'm in the middle of a difficult decision and I'm trying to find God's will, at that point, it's hard to be objective. I think most of the time we know exactly what God wants us to do. Our battle is in doing what God wants us to do. And it's too hard to do that when we know that something tangible is at stake. And so it's important for us ahead of time to make a deal with God, to tell the Holy Spirit, Whatever you show me to do, I'm going to do it. I've already decided that. I've made that commitment. Rather than to, you know, say, well, we'll talk about it when it happens. You know, like when somebody says to you, can you do me a favor? Well, it depends. <laughs> Better tell me what the favor is before I tell you I'll do it. But with him, we say, you're the leader, I'm the follower, whatever you tell me to do, that's what I am going to do. If you have me end up walking off a cliff, I'll do that. If you have me making a fool of myself, I'll do that. I've already decided. That way, when God speaks to me, I don't have this battle inside as to whether or not I'm going to obey. If he is the leader and we are the follower, 
We have to have this mindset ahead of time. God, I will do whatever you tell me to do. So often when I talk to people who are in difficult problem situations in their lives and and they're wrestling over an issue, I tell them, first of all, you're making big decisions for your life. So right now you need to be closer to God than you've ever been before. You draw close to Him. And secondly, Get yourself in the place whereby whatever God tells you to do, whichever choice he tells you to make, you're willing to do it. That's hard. But when we do that, it usually becomes very easy because we've already determined that he's the leader and I'm the follower. We've also already determined if we know what he wants us to do, we're going to do it. And it's amazing how often at that moment of decision, something snaps and Boom, we know exactly what we're supposed to do. But if we are going to be led by the Spirit of God, we have to get ourselves to the point where our heart says, I really do want to follow you. And I think there are some people who aren't ready to be led by the Spirit. I think there are some people who aren't ready to accept Jesus Christ. Because you still think you can do it. You still think you can live your life on your own. And so people talk about a deeper commitment, a greater dedication, a more intimate relationship with God, and you're like, I'm not there yet. Well, don't worry. Life has a way of getting you there. Life has a way of bringing you to the point where you're at the end of your rope, where you know you can't do it, where you know you're not God, where you go, I don't know where I am. Now can I get directions? Those of us guys, when we drive, we don't like to ask for directions. I, I like to even not even pop up the GPS. I just don't like to be told what to do and where to go. But if I get lost enough, I realize, okay, maybe I do need some directions. It's like when you're assembling something that you buy. You're a wimp if you use the directions right from the beginning. First, see if you can intuitively put the thing together. And you might even come up with a better design than they do. I know I always do because I end up with extra parts at the end and I go, see, I know what I'm doing. But eventually, if it's just not working, okay, at least I'll look at the picture on the cover, see what this thing's supposed to look like. The worst thing is to go back to square one, step one, page one, and look in five different languages, how are you supposed to put this thing together? And sometimes you just have to do that. And that's life. Ultimately, it's only when we realize that we can't put this thing together, that I can't figure out how to make life work, that my decisions, that's what got me into this mess, that then I finally say, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to do it your way. The second thing about being led, not only a heart to follow, but an ear to listen See, if you're going to follow God, you have to pay attention to what he's saying. And you go, I don't know, I've never heard God speak to me. God is speaking to you constantly. He's speaking in so many ways, and yet you can't hear him because either you've already decided that you're, what you're going to do, and so you don't want to hear what he has to say, or you're waiting for him to yell louder than everyone else around you who's yelling. You'd like him to write it on the wall or something like he did for Belshazzar. And you're going, see, the problem is God speaks generally in a whisper. He speaks usually like he did for Elijah when he was up there on the mountain saying that he wanted to die. 
And he was so depressed and miserable. And all these loud, explosive fire and earthquake. And all. But God's voice wasn't in them. It was finally in a still, small voice. And I find that God speaks the same way today. He whispers, but he does it all the time. We have to listen. If we're going to follow, we need to learn to listen. Now, I hear God as I read his word. That's one of the great ways that he speaks to us. But do I approach his word as, okay, I want to understand what this means? Or do I approach his word on a daily basis and say, God, if there's something that you want to show me today that has to do with my life, my relationship with you, speak to me through your word. Sometimes God has spoken to me through verses that are even out of context. Oh, yeah, he does it all the time. In fact, in the New Testament, you look at the Old Testament quotes, and some of them are taken out of context. See, God's speaking all the time, and he speaks through his word. He speaks through his servants. He speaks as you hear someone teaching. And it's like, wow, you were listening to our conversation earlier. Some of my friends that were in first service today were really laughing because on the way to church, um, the wife said to her husband, you know, I would just appreciate it if for once, just today, we could go for a walk. The two of us could just go walking together. And he was like, "Eh, I don't want to do that. And then here I talk about walking, and (laughs) so now hopefully they're walking as we speak. But... (laughs) You know, God speaks to you through things like that, but he speaks to to us even through non-Christians sometimes. Something that someone says that is like, wow, that's exactly what I need to hear. God spoke through a donkey. He can speak through anyone. The Bible tells us that he speaks through creation. If it's true that the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament shows his handiwork day unto day, uttereth speech night unto night, they show forth knowledge. There isn't any speech or language where their voice isn't heard. Well, when was the last time you got far enough from the city to actually be able to see those stars, to be able to appreciate the creation of God? I suppose he can speak through concrete and asphalt and and beautiful palm trees that are actually a sprint antenna and things like that. But, you know, get out there and listen. We have to have our ear going, okay, God, I want to hear from you. If we can expect the Holy Spirit to be speaking to us. He is speaking. Last night, he spoke to me through a dog. (laughs) You know, you're kidding. (laughs) Like a... Mr. Ed kind of a thing. No, you know, not that. I I went over to a friend's house, and I'm not a big dog person. I mean, I'm more a dog person than a cat person, certainly. I don't think God would speak through cats, but in in this case, this dog was so excited to see me. He hasn't seen me for a while. Now I realize he's excited to see everyone, but I saw him through the window. He's just sitting there all calm. And then there I am, and he's like, Dave. And he didn't really say Dave, but I could just feel it. I knew he knew. <laughs> and he's like jumping around on me, and they're freaking out that he's going to pee on me. And er- <laughs> but it's like, you know, I don't even care. This dog's so, he's so excited to see me. And I thought, man, I wish I got that reception when I get home. You know? <laughs> but beyond that, I thought, how come I'm not excited to see my friends my family, the way this dog is excited to see me. And then I thought, how about when I get to go spend some time with the Lord? How excited am I? Am I jumping around? Oh, church, all right. Or do I'm like, yeah, cool, good to see you, God. I 
missed you the last couple days, but glad to see you're still here and everything's fine. You know, we, we need to listen to how God speaks. And the Lord just ministered to me of how much more appreciative I could be. He spoke through the dog. But if we're going to follow God and he's going to lead us, our heart needs to be set on being followers and our ear needs to be attentive to what he has to say. The third thing about being led is we also need to have feet that are flexible. See, if God's going to lead us by his spirit, if our life is going to be determined and driven and controlled by the Holy Spirit, then we need to realize, you know what? Sometimes there might be twists and turns. Sometimes it may look like things are out of control, but I am staying flexible because I'm not the leader. I don't have to worry about whether I know where we're going because he knows where we're going. And as a result, I just say, okay, God, whatever you have for me today, I'm fine with it. It'll be okay. If all of my plans are trashed, great. It means he has a better plan. He has another way. And so with a flexible attitude toward the future, I go, okay, God, you say left, I go left. You say right, I go right. You tell me to stop, turn around, go back, double track. It's fine. I am the follower. You are the leader. The fourth thing about being led by God is, is that the idea that there's a destination that's been determined. That is, if he is the leader, then he knows where we're going. And he knows how to get us there. I know ultimately, he gives me a, a flash picture that someday I am going to look a lot like Jesus. That my character is going to develop to the point where I more and more seem like him. Where I am more loving and more joyful and more at peace. I know that's going to happen, but how I'm going to get there, I don't know. But God has this perfect image of who he wants me to be. And I know that when I become more like that image, there's just going to be this incredible peace, this feeling that I am exactly who I was designed to be. And because he has that destination determined, I'll let him do it. It's okay with me. Whatever it is that he does in my life, I tell the Holy Spirit, I make a deal with him, you're the leader, I'm the follower. And so I want to follow. I'm listening to your voice so that I can do whatever you tell me to do. I'll stay flexible. And ultimately, the destination is up to you. Wherever we're going, it's good. I want to be there. Have you ever been surprising someone and taking them somewhere where they don't know where it is and they start to question you? Are you sure you know where you're going? Are you sure this is the way? Look, do you know where it is? Well, no, never been there. Then why are you questioning how I get us there? Now, Sometimes, I've confessed, I bluff. I have no idea where we're going, but I pretend like I do because I figure eventually we'll get somewhere. But God doesn't do that. He has a perfect destination. He knows who you and I were designed to be, and he's going to get us there. So walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, the third aspect that we see is living in the Spirit. It comes down to this walk is something that becomes a life. Wow, it's late. Sorry. I guess I could have forgot a few points and you guys would have got to lunch on time. But uh, life. When I think of life, the first thing I think of is that life is 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's kind of a constant thing. You can't say, you know what? I've been really busy and kind of jet lagged. And so I think I'll just be dead for a little while. 
and then I'll come back to life and everything will be fine. You know, why don't you freeze me and put me next to Walt Disney and Joe DiMaggio and all these other nuts and wake me up on a, after they've solved this Gaza Strip thing, you know? No, if you're alive, you're alive. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I think a lot of us get ripped off in our walk with the Lord because we try to do it part-time. We want to walk with God at certain times, maybe on weekends and certain evenings, and then other times we don't want to be around Him. We don't want to include Him in our lives on a moment-by-moment basis. And I think part of it is because we have given God such a bad rap. We kind of have this notion that there are certain things that are very spiritual that God's into, like harp music and things like that. And there are other things he really doesn't care about or isn't into. And so I go, you know, when I'm at church, I'll be all godly. But on my own time, can I just be myself? I read somewhere a guy was talking about heaven to his son and said to his son, said, what are we going to do in heaven? And he said, son, we're just going to praise God all day long. Just praise him and thank him and glorify him and sing hymns to him. And his son goes, that's it? He goes, yeah, that's what heaven's going to be like. And his son said, can't we ever just stop for a little bit and mess around? (laughs) And that's kind of the idea that we have, that spiritual things are the things that God wants to be a part of. Other things, oh, no, God wouldn't. It would be blasphemous to include him in something like this. The truth is what you enjoy and care about, he does too. He wants to be with you all the time. He wants you to be comfortable with him. He understands why you like things that are kind of goofy. Can you imagine God sitting there as you're watching? Now, there are certain things that are totally against God, but you're watching something fun on TV, just having a good time, and God just there enjoying it with you. Oh, I can't even imagine that. I had a great time with the Lord last night watching the Ultimate Fighting Championships. (laughs) I think he enjoyed seeing me enjoy it. Yeah, you know, five guys are going, yeah, yeah. I knew that felt spiritual. In fact, I enjoyed, while I was watching it, I enjoyed a great cheeseburger with the Lord. Then I had a second one that was all me, (laughs) but... But so often we have this idea that, ooh, you know, God's real sensitive. You got to be careful, kind of like, you know, if the pastor's around, you have to be careful what you say and what you do because he's real fragile and, you know, we need to impress him. And you know what? God is so passionately in love with you. He wants to be with you all the time. And if you're messing up and you're doing something stupid, he wants to help you work through that so you don't keep doing things that hurt you. But if you are going to live with him, you need to realize that he's okay with who you are, that he just wants to be with you. How much nonsense do you think Jesus was put through when he was hanging out with the disciples? They recorded a few of their dumb questions and crazy things that they did, but I'm sure it didn't even scratch the surface. Most of the stupid things they did while Jesus was there certainly blew right by wasn't recorded. Maybe it's a good idea. But the fact is, he's called you to a life with the Spirit. And that means he wants to be there in every aspect of your life. He will be with you in whatever you do. And he's not grossed out by you. 
He's not turned off by what you care about. He loves you. He wants to be with you so much. You know, you guys remember when you first started falling in love? You went places that you'd rather not go. I remember, you know, trying to impress Anne, and she was a vegetarian, and I'm eating vegetables, and it's, the notion is disgusting, except for the fact that <laughs> Anne was more attractive to me than vegetables were repulsive. And so you make adjustments. <laughs> Do you understand that God does that too? He loves you so much that He puts up with whatever it is that you're dishing out because He wants to be with you. And He knows eventually, as I did, I knew I could get Ann to eat meat. It would just take time. <laughs> it would be my charm. I had a lot of verses I could share with. There better work out. Today we can enjoy a burrito together. It's fine. And, and God knows, too, He has that picture of who He's going to make you into. So He goes, I'll hang with you. I want to be with you, but I want to be with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. A second thing about life is that there's a rhythm to it. You breathe in, you breathe out. Your heart's expelling the blood, and it's drawing the blood in. Your muscles are expanding and contracting. You have other muscles that do the opposite work. Your body has a rhythm to it. And a walk with the Holy Spirit and a relationship with Him has that kind of rhythm. It's not boring, but it's also, there's a rhythm. And you realize you get into that rhythm, and it becomes easier when you go, okay, oh, this is the time for me to be, for me to suck in. Oh, this is the time for me to put out. This is the time for me to work. This is the time for me to rest. You find your rhythm in Him because you are living with Him. It's a relationship in which He sets the rhythm and we catch on to the rhythm. And beautiful things happen in our lives when we discover that it's a, it's a life like that. It works. It has ups and downs. It has cycles. It has all sorts of things that ultimately once you discover them, becomes a lot easier and a lot more fruitful. Two other things about life, and then we'll be through. One of them is life is short, but life is eternal. Yes, it is, but life now as we know it is short. It's called life because it's limited. It's going to end. And having an appreciation for the shortness of life is important also in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. That means we realize some things are more important than others. If there was no limit to the length of our life, there would be no such thing as priorities. But understanding that the person sitting next to me, today might be the last chance I have to tell them that I love them. That friend that I just thought of that I haven't spoken to in years, they won't be there forever. Maybe I ought to call them up and say I'm sorry. Maybe I should try to heal a, a breach that's happened in my relationship with someone. Hey, death is a part of life. And a part of our walk today with the Spirit is understanding to have the priorities that flow forth from a life that though we have an eternal life to look forward to, there are certain things that we will only have within this life. If you don't have time to take a walk, that's an indication that your priorities are really mixed up. If you don't have time to spend some time with the Lord, special personal time with Him, whatever it is that you are spending your energy on, are you thinking in terms of how long a short life really is? 
as someone who said, no one gets to the end of their life and looks back and says, I wish I had spent more time at work. But there are so many other things that are more important. And if we're listening to God, His Holy Spirit will give us that kind of priority that we will appreciate what we have because it's limited. And we will utilize the time that we have in a, in a wise way. We will desire for God to work in our lives as He sees fit because life is short. And finally, life is a gift. How do you get life? You inherited it. Someone, your parents, got together and your life as a result of that. But in a divine sense, God breathed life into you and made you a living soul even as he did to Adam and Eve. It comes from him. Do you understand what a gift life is? Or have you just started thinking of life as being a burden? Do you understand what a gift it is that everything that there is to God is inside you if you're a Christian? That he, as, remember when Jesus was talking to the disciples in the upper room and he said, told them to receive the Holy Spirit. And he went, and he breathed on them. They received the Holy Spirit. Do you know when you got saved, he breathed on you? That he placed his Holy Spirit inside you? And that his Holy Spirit as a person, as God, the third person of the Trinity, that he wants to live in a vital relationship with you. He wants to be speaking to you. He wants to lead and to guide you. He wants you to enjoy him and him to enjoy you. In every way, he means so much good for you. He can deliver you from your flesh and bring you into the realm of the Spirit. Do you understand what a gift that is? Or has it been a long time since you even thought about the Holy Spirit? You know, you know those people who are getting slain in the Spirit and laughing in the Spirit and rolling in the aisles and swinging from chandeliers, and you're like, I'm not one of those people. I'm afraid if I start chumming around with the Holy Spirit, I'll start speaking in tongues or something. Hey, you've got God inside you. Can you afford to ignore Him? Can you afford to continue to ruin your own life? It's an incredible gift to have the God of heaven in you, literally. He's with you, he's in you. And he wants to fill and control you, to come upon you in a powerful way. And that's his gift of the Holy Spirit. And oh man, what he can do if you let him, if you give him permission, if you'll get up off your chair and, <laughs> and start walking with him and following him and living with him. Oh, what an incredible gift. Don't neglect him. He's there. He's waiting. He's excited to see you every time you start thinking about him. Don't ignore him. Don't forget him. You're blessed. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, as you left this planet and left us with the Holy Spirit and said we'd be better off with him than with you, we must confess the Holy Spirit so often seems more like a theory or a theological concept than a living, breathing relationship for us. And it's no wonder that every time we start in the Spirit, loving, joyful, peaceful, we end up in the flesh angry and frustrated and failing because we're neglecting the Spirit of God that's within us. Lord, please, 
Help us to begin to discover and to take the time to listen and to devote our lives to spending our time with you. We're so sorry that we haven't invited you so many places we go, knowing that you would have enjoyed being with us. Lord, just please work in our lives. Help us to appreciate your gift. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. There might be... There might be some people here today, you've never even given your life to Jesus Christ, never even started with Him. You've got the flesh stuff down pretty good. You go, yep, that's me. But the idea of a life that's rich and full seems so foreign to you. You've become so jaded that you just don't even think that's a possibility. I think we're just dreaming. We're just faking it. We're trying, hoping, pretending, trusting in magic. No, it's real. God can himself go into your life. He can fix it. He can lead and guide you, love you, and comfort you. He'll be your best friend. He'll walk with you on a daily basis. All it takes is for you to understand that you've flubbed it up enough. If you want to spend another week of misery, go ahead. We'll be here next week, Lord willing. But if you're, if you're getting... If you're catching on to the fact that, yep, I mess up everything that God gives me, ultimately, or somebody else messes it up for me, then I would encourage you to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ today. There are people in our prayer room right through those doors over there, and they'd love to pray with you, to introduce you to Jesus Christ, so that that walk in the Spirit, that relationship, personal relationship with God can take place. And everything you've ever tried to do good, you can start to let him do it on his own. All his strength, none of yours. His energy, his idea, you go along for the ride and he's going to bless your life. Amazingly, he wants to give you the best gift you could ever have. And so I would encourage you, if you haven't done that, do it today. For the rest of us, we've given our hearts to Jesus Christ we know that the Holy Spirit is inside of us. We, we have a concept of that theologically, but something about that relationship has just been missing. And I pray that this week you'll take a walk. That you'll allow yourself to be led. That you'll allow him to enrich your life. He wants to do that. He's been waiting to do it. God is waiting for you. Get it going. You just have to get up. He'll take care of the rest. Put one foot in front of another. And I pray that this will be a week when you discover the blessing of relationship with the Holy Spirit like you've never had before. He's going to do some incredible things in your life if you let him. But he's a gentleman and he'll wait. Wait till you let him. But go for it this week. Enjoy him. God bless you.